0: Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
2: On today's episode, Liz and I bring back our good friend, Jeff Stewart, and we discuss tips for helping couples through the long-term recovery process following betrayal trauma. Jeff shares helpful insights into how couples can be resilient through the challenges and recovery of betrayal. Jeff Stewart is a licensed marriage and family therapist, author, presenter, and podcaster with over 24 years of experience. He's the co-author of "Love You, Hate the Porn: Healing a Relationship Damaged by Virtual Infidelity" and co-hosts the podcast "From Crisis to Connection" with his wife Jody. He's the creator of the Trust Building Bootcamp online video course and produces workbooks, audio programs, and other courses to help couples and individuals. Heal from the impact of sexual betrayal, unwanted pornography use, partner betrayal trauma, and rebuilding broken trust. He earned degrees from Brigham Young University and Auburn University and has extensive training and experience treating sexually compulsive behaviors and betrayal trauma. Jeff has been married for over 26 years and he and his wife Jody are the parents of four children. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to Stronger Marriage Connections. I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Liz Hale, along with the beloved professor, Dr. Dave Schram. And together, we are dedicating our life's work to bringing you the best we have in valid marital research, along with a few, few tips and tools. I'm going to say that again. Along with a few tips and tools to help you create the marriage of your dreams. We're really grateful for our guest today, Jeff Stewart, marriage and family therapist. He's willing to come back by popular demand. We had such a great discussion with him before about betrayal, trauma, and the three A's, abuse, adultery, addiction, and how to recover from those. Today's topic is is very serious and important to both of us. He's an author, presenter, has some awesome podcasts of his own, by the way, with his co-host and wife called From Crisis to Connection. It's excellent. We're talking about, of course, the one and only Jeff Stewart. Welcome back to Stronger Marriage Connection, our friend. Thanks for having me back, guys. Really great to have you back.
2: Yeah, great to have you back, Jeff. Thanks for taking time to, to join us again. Um, again, today we're tackling, it's pretty you know, deep. It can be a heavy topic, but certainly an important one, I think, for many um, individuals and families and people who are affected by this. And we're talking about long-term um, recovery. We're talking about relationship resilience. Um, so this is we're moving I guess a little bit beyond the initial all right here's some uh, trauma here betrayal and now days go by weeks go by months even years go by but before we dive into to more of that can you help define for us our, our listeners what are, what are we talking about when even that term that betrayal trauma what is that
3: Yeah <clears throat> I'm glad we're defining terms here because um this this one's important to get right Um, betrayal trauma is different than other traumas. Um, you know, so when you, when you get in a car accident or you've been in a natural disaster or there's, there's usually that's an event that has a very defined beginning and end to it. I was driving down the road just fine. I got hit and that's like everything after the accident. Like you have this clearly defined sense with betrayal trauma, betrayal trauma occurs when someone you trust or someone that you depend on or even someone you, who has power over you, mistreat you. Um, so it could be a spouse, it could be a parent, it could be a boss, um, somebody that you're you're counting on to have your back to protect you, to look out for you. And so when they mistreat you, um, that type of interaction is very disorienting because it really plays on that, that vulnerability and the trust that you've given that person to Look out for you. I mean, with strangers and people we don't, you know, people we've just met or people don't know very well, we're looking out for ourselves. Like we're, we, you know, we're looking over our shoulder. We're, we're a little bit cautious or guarded. But it it is, especially for marriage, you have to throw off, as Jeffrey R. Holland says, you have to throw off all self protection so that you can be one. And in, in order to, to, you know, really have the kind of intimacy and connection and bonding. You can't be looking over your shoulder all the time. And so when that person takes advantage of that trust and you're still going to live with them and raise kids with them and, and, you know, run a house together every single day, you can imagine how challenging being in a traumatized state with that person every day is because you don't know where you're safe. You can't just get away from the danger right away. I mean, you can, but it's more complicated than that for most people.
1: Hmm. Because you live with that person still, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. And we all know that relationships can survive and even thrive after betrayal. But some listeners might be wondering, Jeff and Dave, you know, should I stay? Should I go? Should I continue to work? Am I going to be betrayed again? Will I ever feel safe? Can I ever get through this? Can we ever get over this? What do you say to people who wonder what to do following a betrayal?
3: Yeah, that's a really common question is right afterwards. Like, can this work? Am I, should I, stay, say, should I Should I stay or should I go? Um, we know that most people initially do stay. And because a lot of the times, especially if you have children, but even just because of our primary attachment bond as humans, we're pair bonders. And so this person that's hurt us is not only a source of pain, but they've also been a source of comfort. And we're still reflexively looking to them to somehow give us some sort of relief in this. So we're just in this constant push pull of one foot's on the brake now. One foot's still on the gas and we're just struggling of how to, how to be in this relationship. So. Um, I, I find that it's not helpful to decide whether you should stay or go early on. Now, there are some extreme examples where there's, it's absolutely unsafe to stay, where your physical or sexual or emotional, uh, integrity is totally compromised and there, you're just not gonna be okay or children or other things like that. So you have to be wise. And that could even involve a separation, but even, even the choice of divorcing or get calling it quits completely, uh, I think you have to let the dust settle. You have to see what the other person's willing to do. You have to understand really what the lay of the land is and what you're up against and what you're dealing with. And that takes time. And so as agonizing as it is, most of us want certainty. We want to know what's going to happen. We want to uh, sit with, uh, you know, some sort of parameters around this thing. So it's a lot to ask, I recognize, but slowing it down and taking time is is critical Mm -hmm. while you're trying to gather information.
1: And even quick forgiveness is a concern, right, Jeff? Sometimes we just want to step over all the steps, just get back to normalcy. And oh yeah, everybody wants
3: to feel better. <laughs> yeah, immediately. absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. And what is it? What's the problem with quick forgiveness? What do you warn your clients against?
3: Well, I'm actually not against quick forgiveness as much as I'm. I'm against quick trust. Quick trust. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you for that distinction. Um,
3: I think that forgiveness is, is, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people that just feel like, you know what, I'm turning this over to God or the, whatever, like, I'm not, I, I I can't fix that. Like, and I'm, and I'm just going to like, you know, so some people have a quick turnaround with forgiveness where they can really release it because they don't want to suffer or hold on to it or have it just chew them alive. But the trust is never quick quick trust is is complete oxymoron like there's no such thing you can't quickly trust somebody and everybody will use the language of forgiveness you know a lot especially the person who's broken the trust they'll be like why won't you forgive me or sometimes church leaders will you know let's forgive and the thing is it's not about forgiveness because forgiving somebody you can forgive the person who you know let's say um assaulted you and they're in jail now i can forgive that person but i know i don't have to ever Get close to them again, and so that's the trust can still be broken there. But I can give into forgiveness. But but when I'm living with somebody, and I have to rely on them to, you know, wake up next to them every day and figure that that trust is going to take a long time, mm-hmm. and it should.
2: Yeah, you
1: bet. You bet it does. Mm-hmm. We
2: dive into that a little bit deeper, Jeff. I, I I love that. It's a process. It's not even an event. It's mm-hmm. going to take some time. Walk us through a little bit of what that long-term you know recovery for one who's who's been betrayed what does that look like does anyone's story or is everyone's story completely different you see patterns when couples in come in and, and talk to you or are there certain keys things that you help them through that process
3: yeah i mean there's always outliers and so i'm not going to talk about those but but um but th- there are some some key patterns that happen i mean after discovery And discovery can happen. And I mentioned this in the last podcast we did in in discovery, you know, there, there's different ways to do it. There's the, there's the, the shock of discovering and the person who's been betrayed, learning about something and finding a, you know, an email or a, a browser history or discovering an affair or whatever the betrayal is, they, they, they find it and their world is flipped upside down. And then there's, you know, the person who's wanting, who's been unfaithful or who's betraying the relationship to come forward on their own and open up about it all still very difficult experiences and traumatic but it sets in motion a healing path that requires now visibility transparency ongoing commitment there's there's two there's two recoveries going on now right there's the person who's broken the trust has their own process now of facing reality coming in contact with truth um learning how to regulate their emotions stopping the harmful behaviors telling the truth There's just a lot of steps involved in that. And depending on their own histories and their own reflexes and things like that, they, they may have a lot of work to do that may surprise them in terms of how deep this really is. And then you've got the betrayed partner who has their own path now that they didn't ask for, by the way. This is not something that they necessarily, I mean, when they got married, they, you know, they were signing up for building partnership and working together and growing and having, you know, just this shared journey together. But now they're having to reconcile who is this person? Who am I? How did I miss this? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with them? How do how am I ever going to feel normal again? Can I trust? Um, there's so many things they have to sort through in terms of reclaiming their own, their own sense of reality, their own voice, learning how to set limits, protecting their, their own personal space if needed, et cetera. There's just so much individual work on a traumatized, betrayed partner's um, plate that they didn't, again, they didn't ask for but they still need to do so that they can get back to uh, functioning and thriving uh, what we would call post-traumatic growth, which which is really possible. And people need to know that. It's not the end of the road. And then there's this third recovery, which is the marriage recovery. And that marriage recovery depends on how well those other two go. And there's lots of things you can do um, along the way to to start to really seed and help strengthen that marriage recovery. Um, it's not just an event where, you know, two people work uh, alone after betrayal, and then one day at some predetermined time period decide, okay, now we'll start working on the relationship. It's It's happening all the time in terms of not being defensive and staying open and telling the truth. And so there's a lot of these things that are threading together a marriage recovery down the road. Um, but the long-term, the long-term pattern involves truth. It involves a tremendous amount of emotional regulation, self-regulation, and learning how to even be regulated together in terms of, um, stabilizing and, and staying, um, you know, in conversation about difficult things. Um, it often involves some sort of outside help and accountability, uh, education, these are some of the the anchor points that are part of that process. Um, just deciding, I'm just not going to do it anymore, and let's just quit talking about it. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. doesn't work.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how couples can do this without that professional intervention. Really good professional intervention, like like you,
2: Jeff Stewart. We'll be right back after this brief message.
0: Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
2: And we're back. Let's dive right in.
1: Good people make mistakes. Good people betray. What do you say to the person who has betrayed the trust of their partner? I, I'm sure they too are going through their set of their own set of roller coaster of emotions: shame, guilt, regret, maybe even suicide ideation. They can hardly stand, you know, the thought of what they have done. What do yeah, you say to, to that individual?
3: Yeah, it is. It is very emotionally uh, destabilizing to look at yourself and recognize. It, it's interesting, um, Stephen Stosny. I know you guys have had him on the podcast. I, I love his work, and and one thing he talks about is you know, power, us feeling powerful comes from us always acting in the best interest of those we love, those we care about. And, and that's where we're the most powerful. And so when I, when I think of somebody who's broken trust, you can go into this whirlwind of I'm a loser, I'm horrible, I'm whatever. That is not in the best interest of the person you hurt. That is not going to help you feel more stable and help you feel better. And it's actually not going to help the other person feel better. You telling yourself that you're a big loser or telling them that you're a horrible monster, that's not what they want to hear. What they want to hear is that you care about getting this right. You care about getting well. You care about facing and and understanding how this happened and and making a commitment that you're going to undo the damage that you've done and stop harmful behaviors. And that's the most compassionate thing and will help you feel the most powerful in your life which is acting in the best interest of those you care about. And getting to that place is not easy for some people. They they may have really bad childhoods and, and traumatic histories and maybe years and years of feeling powerless against their behaviors and addictions. Um, and so working closely with someone who can help you stay in touch with your own view of self and being able to do the work and stay in contact with that tension is really critical because... Um, just because you made mistakes, you are not your mistakes. You can change behaviors. You can change patterns. You can heal. And, um, you just, you know, collapsing into yourself doesn't serve anyone. And that's hard, hard thing to say to people, but there's really a dead end there. If you just kind of collapse in on yourself, it's not going to serve anyone.
1: I'm a big fat loser. It's just really almost self-indulgent in a way. And yeah. the other is so much more reparative for the for the partner and for self. I mean, that's just really well said. It's it's a win win to hear different mm-hmm. things coming out of your own mouth. Of I want to make this right. I, I will I will do anything in the rest of my life to make this right by you. Right. I, I I want to I want us to heal. I want this to work. I want I want to stay together.
3: Yeah, there's an old <laughs> saying. Um, I was something I heard once from somebody who was in Alcoholics Anonymous, and they say, "How can you tell somebody who's not in recovery? Well, they don't want to talk about it." And how can you tell if somebody's in recovery, they won't quit talking about it. Right. <laughs> it's like yeah, they recognize they recognize and they understand where they've come from and they they want to be open and talk about and they're willing to. And that's a real sign of healing is the willingness to talk about it. it doesn't mean you need to go on a podcast and talk about it. It just means that you're willing to talk about it to people that matter.
1: Uh, well, well said. You have had work, worked with so many couples and of course keeping their confidences. I know you've counseled and helped many be resilient after betrayal. Do you have any stories to share with us of hope people that have gone through this hellacious experience and come out the other end really to, to be healthy and whole?
3: Oh yeah, no, I've got, I've got lots of stories and thankfully lots of hopeful ones. People often wonder how I can do this every day and work with these issues. And it's because people can change and there's, there's absolutely um, healing on the other side of this. So, um, I'm going to, I'm not going to obviously disclose any names or details about their situation, but the, but the patterns that I see, and I'll just take a few couples that I've seen similar things with and give you the trajectory of what I see is, um, is there's a, there's a total willingness to, um, keep revisiting. I'll just, I'll just, one example is, is one guy I, I've worked with. He, he was willing to go over multiple, multiple drafts with me of his story. Um, and it was really painful stuff from um everything he had done, and he had been abusive he had been um he had sexually acted out, he had done a lot of things that were just so destructive, but his courage and his willingness to just confront this and talk about it with me he hadn't even shared this with his wife yet started to soften him, started to help him have more compassion, so he just started to become someone that um recognized that he could tolerate. The reality of his situation he could sit there and stay regulated in conversation with me about it and so when it went then when he would see his wife's face and her disappointment or the distance that she needed or she would ask for things or be frustrated he was able to say from a compassionate place "Makes sense why you would feel that way or why you need that space in light of what i've done it's like he was able to stay in contact so clearly with um, the pain of this, that he was able to transfer that over and, and, and turn it into compassion for her. Because if he was like, man, I couldn't even sit with it. I can't even imagine what it would be like for her. And and this took a while. But but what I love about this story is that um when, when we finally scheduled and did the full therapeutic disclosure, which is where he sat down with her and told her everything in one meeting, um, which is a huge event and so difficult, especially for her to sit there and take all this at that point, it wasn't just this. fine. I'll tell you the truth. What do you want to know? You know, it wasn't this just kind of vomiting of all his stuff. He came from this place of like, I am so devastated myself that you have to hear any of this. Like you don't deserve any of this. And his heart was broken. He was so soft. He was just like, but willing and courageous and open and shared it. And this couple, are you know they are reconciling they are they are moving forward because he had the courage to stay with his own story long enough and he, and she knows instinctively if this guy can stay with his stuff then he can handle any of my pain mm-hmm. and that's what we're seeing
1: oh that's so encouraging so happy yeah. for
0: them
2: yeah that's so powerful yeah. man it does it, it fills you with with hope i I'm, I'm curious so I, so I need to ask those questions because i'm I'm curious, Jeff, have you seen from your perspective and even Liz and um, couples you've worked with, whether does it differ based on whether the person comes out um, without kind of, you know, being busted or all of a sudden, you know, I've seen a text or I've seen an email and now I confront the person versus whether the person is, you know, now I just need to, you know, I'm feeling like I need to disclose this. Does that make sense? The difference between mm-hmm. those two.
1: Mm-hmm. Coming clean versus. Yeah. Before getting busted.
2: Out. Yeah. Yeah, what is there a difference as far as the the hope and the it just feels like one might be uh you know I I was busted massive now difference. I feel guilty versus yeah <clears throat> coming coming clean before.
3: Yeah, massive difference and I'll make the same invitation I do on every time I talk about this which is if you're sitting on secrets right now listen carefully because the way that you handle this can make or break the recovery. Now, you still can recover if you get caught. The marriage can still recover, but it will be way more expensive. <laughs> I'm just telling you, financially, emotionally, time-wise, it is just so much more costly to get caught. And everything, and you was going to be like, but there's not a good time. Trust me, there's never a good time to bring this up. But the truth is, is the the sooner you can do it, the better. Now, um, bringing up something versus getting caught, what it does is it it really is, it's based on this idea for the betrayed partner of, does this person want to get well because if, if they're the one that have to initiate this, they catch you, they bring it up, they ask you a question, they confront it, then that will set a precedent that signals to them over and over again, I want this more than they do. Or, um, if I don't do something, this won't ever get better. And we have to transfer the burden of accountability and motivation and, and, and that driver over to the person who broke the trust. So, if if you can be the one to set that in motion, then your partner, who's going to you know hear some tough stuff, they never have to overcome that belief that you don't want it, and that's a hard belief to overcome. So you can do something about that immediately. Yeah, yeah that's that's
2: great. Yeah, I'm glad. Thanks for for sharing that. Um, you talk quite a bit. I, I love that you do this on your podcast. You talk about the long term perspective and how important that is. That this. No quick fixes with any of this. With emotions and connection, this is a in it for the long haul. Um, are you talking about like months, years? Is, is this a lifetime? I mean, once someone has been betrayed like like that, and and that hurt is so deep, um, it, are there little triggers? You know, six years, seven years down. Or, you know, there's a text that goes off, or see an email from this person, or Facebook, or you see this person in person. Do you know what I'm saying? Is this a lifetime worth of totally
3: work? Yeah, it's funny. Everybody wants to get back to normal. They're mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, when, it, when will we just be back to normal and stop dealing with this stuff? And I'm like, well, um, you know, it's, it's important to recognize that you, you're going to settle into the new normal, which is actually a lot of people will say that because they're, they're just like, will it just always just be doom and gloom and painful feelings and tears and stuff like that? The answer is no. In fact, if you, if you try and get away from doing long-term work, then it will be years and years of, of setbacks and tears and struggle. But if you're willing to lean into it and stay with it and have these conversations and do the healing work and and embark in this marathon of long-term work, then you actually settle down your own and your partner's nervous system. And it actually makes it a lot easier to, um, to, it actually promotes more healing. Um, If I can share a quick quote from, this was from um, an address that Jonathan Sandberg, he's an MFT professor at BYU gave um called healing equals uh, courage plus action plus grace and he quoted Elaine Marshall who was the dean of nursing at BYU and and what she says here i think is so powerful for this conversation she said on my first day as a nurse i assumed that cure care and healing to be synonymous i have learned they are not the same healing is not cure cure is clean quick and done often under anesthesia healing however is often a lifetime, lifelong process of recovery and growth in spite of maybe because of enduring physical, emotional, or spiritual assault. It requires time. It requires all the energy of your entire being. You have to be there fully awake, aware, and participating when it happens. And so I, I teach, I teach the couples I work with that, you know, we can go for cure. Addiction's a cure. I can feel immediately better right now. I can numb out anesthesia, boom, I'm cured from this pain. Or I can engage in healing, which is I'm going to do some heart surgery right now without medication, (laughs) which is asking a lot. But the truth is, is that you'll feel better eventually uh, doing the healing work versus always hunting for a cure.
2: Yeah. Committed to doing the work. And if both are committed, it feels like that commitment is such a big piece because it's like, you know, are you bailing? We're going to this isn't something we're going to try. And then you're going to bail in two weeks. If this doesn't work out, it's like, okay, hey, we. We're both committed in this can bring some hope to the relationship.
3: Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's 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 important to recognize that early on in the recovery process, it's not helpful to get into conversations about commitment. Sometimes the commitment is I'm not going to divorce you right now, or the commitment is is like all I can do is like sleep in the other room and I won't go further than that right now. So commitment's a hard thing early on when there's crisis and discovery and you're trying to settle down, but long term. You do need to get signals from both people that they are turning toward each other. They're going to start to um, build and work on this third entity, this relationship and fuse together their own individual healing journeys. And that's never an event. It's just like signals that say, okay, this is safe to take risks again and try again. And the person who broke the trust has to tolerate um, a certain amount of like um, distancing and approach and back and forth like that for a while because you know a lot of times a a partner will move in and have a moment of closeness or connection and then kind of pull away to evaluate that and see how they feel about it and if it was real and watch for a little bit and you have to tolerate a certain level of that back and forth
1: another message of hope jeff i'm loving this I'm sure there's some of our listeners who have adult children, and they know maybe that there might be a sense of betrayal in that, in that marriage, and they've got to be experiencing strong emotions as parents, right? I'm not a parent, but I can just only imagine a mother's heart and a father's heart and how that hurts when your child is hurting. What is the role of parents in the lives of their adult children? Do you have any tips for them, things that they should or should not say or do for their adult children and their in-laws?
3: Yeah. I mean, I I think that it's important for, for any adult. I mean, if, if you're close to your children, I think it matters the quality of your relationship with them. If, if you have a close relationship with them and they've invited you into their emotional world, then you're going to notice, you know, some things that are happening as they're, you know, you, you might know the full story. They may tell you everything, or you may just know something's off. And it's important to be really deferential and respectful to what they feel comfortable sharing Um, If you if you do see signs of pattern or abuse or you see them breaking down or, you know, you're noticing that they've lost the light in their eyes or something doesn't seem right, then you have to be more direct and bold and courageous and and bring that up and invite them to um, either seek more help or see what you can do to help. Um, But it's critical to for most cases that are just, you know, where couples are working through this long process of recovery is for you just as a parent, as a loved one um, just to get educated yourself and understand, um, what this process, I've had a lot of parents that listen to my podcast or that, um, have read my book or have, you know, just really educated themselves. And they are some of the most helpful resources because they, they know what to say. And most importantly, they know not what they know what not to say. Mm -hmm. And, and so they're not going to say uninformed comments and sensitive things. They're not going to, uh, create drama and and split people up and things like that. So the education is really about helping you stay regulated and understanding the big picture so that you can be helpful. I think Brene Brown said it best. You know, you don't want to become a piece of debris in somebody else's tornado. And so you you've got to you've got to really learn um, how to keep your own emotional balance when you're watching someone you love go through s- something really hard. But if you if you understand the research, if you understand the work and what's involved and you see them doing it, you can stay hopeful and stay present with them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Such wise words, my friend. Um, what do you say to someone who's who's listening right now? And there might be these little, you know, I'm flirting with someone at work or flirting with someone online. You know, it, it seems so, you know, innocent I haven't really crossed any lines right now, but it feels like they're on this slope. Do you know what I'm talking about? And they're kind of justifying it in their, in their minds from you. And you've seen this, you counsel with so many, many couples. What's your message to those who are kind of on the, uh, on the edge of that betrayal trauma?
3: Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we'll speak to the, you're talking about the person who's, who's maybe, um, pulled in a little bit, maybe just, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that it's so easy to lie to ourselves. And, um, And one thing that I, I, I know is a, is a good indicator is if like, um, again, Shirley Glassner, but we talked about this last time, not quote unquote, just friends. That's always the excuse. We're just friends. You know, um, the thing is, is that, um, if you are, if you're noticing yourself looking forward to, or getting excited to see this other person, or you, when you see their name pop up on your phone or. And you're, you're starting to feel some of those feelings that maybe some of that limerence that you feel in like dating relationships or like early infatuation. Um, that's, that's a huge red flag that you've crossed over from a friend. Because the truth is I have lots of friends that are, you know, the opposite sex and, uh, people that I would consider, you know, colleagues, friends. And, and when their name pops up on my phone, I'm, you know, or I just, you know, I'm around them. It's like, okay. And my wife were for you know it's like no big deal. There's no energy around it. But man, if if like you're looking forward to it, or you're you're taking a little more time to get ready, or you're being so careful at how you say things or presenting yourself, then you probably got to slow way down and get honest with yourself and/or your partner about it. One thing I love about Shirley Glass is let's not be afraid to talk about attraction. Let's not be afraid to talk about the fact that somebody else could just we could have chemistry with them and be really honest about that and not pretend. That somehow when you get married to somebody else, that all of a sudden your chemistry shuts off. Um, that's, that's just human nature. And so to have the courage just to own it or admit it, even to somebody else, even to say, to say to a trusted friend or a therapist or a church leader, be able to say, yeah, like I just got to like interrupt this trance that I'm in. I'm just, I'm just kind of like, I feel myself getting pulled in by the tractor beams into the Death Star here. Like I can't quit, you know. Feeling like I want to be around this person, you got to get honest and interrupt it. Um, if you don't, then the self denial and the betrayal just builds and builds, and then you're in a place you never dreamed you'd be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's shining nice. a light on that dark dark corner, right? Yeah, Jeff? I love it.
3: Yes, wise words. Yeah,
1: coming yeah. clean. Yeah, good people. We 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 are living a world and we notice beautiful people, right? Mm-hmm. Does it oh, yeah. make us bad? Uh, the, the the yeah the the problem we get into you're right is not being candid not being honest with someone, yeah. and that can take all yeah. that steam right out of it.
3: Yeah, sorry, I wanted to build on something, Dave. You, you said like you were talking about um, the word that came to mind is familiarity. Um, we in in 2022 with social media and the ease of of texting and and so on it, it, it's so easy to become more deeply familiar with somebody than we ever have before and that can give you the illusion of of closeness in a relationship that m- probably isn't there but you have to be very careful about you know just making the comments or the emojis or the little things that can signal to another person that you're open and available um, I just think it's good to keep it a little bit awkward with people that you know you could be attracted to and just keep it keep that distance there and not build so much familiarity so that's what I wanted to say about that.
1: Did you say keep it a little awkward? Was that the word? Yeah, you mm-hmm. awkward. I like that. Yeah, well, I think that's really yeah. wise. We like to ask all of our guests, of course, Jeff, what they believe is a key to a stronger marriage connection. What What are your thoughts today about that?
3: Well, in this in this context of of betrayal um, or talking about long term recovery, I'll speak to that because general sort of marriage happiness and stuff like that, um, you know, I think involves. well, let me just speak about the context here. Like in terms of staying close to your partner, um, I find that making sure that there's not a lot of space between you and your partner. We talk a lot about, you know, healthy relationships are a mix of independence and dependence. And we're always balancing those two of being myself, but being in this partnership and relying on each other. But there, there should not be enough room in there for another person. There should not be enough room in there for your job. There should not be enough room in there for your kids. There should not be enough room in there for... All these other competing attachments. And so there's enough of a tight fit there that you can still move freely and be yourself, but that your partner is also, um, you're, you're securely connected enough to know that your movements impact each other and you're in this dance together. Um, when that separation starts to happen, whatever it is, um, then trouble starts. And so I love, I love for people to still be themselves, but stay really close to each other. Hmm
1: tightly connected i like that mm-hmm. yeah
2: that's great jeff man we're huge fans i want to put a plug in for your um podcast you're listening to this you've gotten and this is resonating at all you've got to check out jeff's amazing podcast from crisis to connection in fact that's his website right jeff from crisis to com. tell listeners a little bit where they can find when they visit your website
3: yeah so i have i mean yeah i have a podcast from yeah with my wife and we we talk about all these subjects all the time and um, and so, and then I, you know, I have some online courses, um, one on rebuilding trust and repairing the damage that you've done. And then my wife and I also just recently started a, a couples community membership community for couples that want to do this long-term healing work called connection plus. And, uh, we, we get on live and answer questions and connect with people and have a private forum where people can ask questions and get support. It's not just uh, information, but it's application and transformation. We want people to, uh, stay in the saddle and do this work long-term and not get, uh, get exhausted and burned out. It's, uh, it's hard work and, uh, we just want people to have resources to do it. So yeah, I'm writing every week and podcasting every week. And like you guys, it's, it's a passion. It's a calling. It's just something that, um, I have a lot to say about it and I want people to get good resources. There's so many good things out there to learn about this and there's no excuse to Mm -hmm. not strengthen your marriage.
1: And you mentioned something about a book. Did I get you right, Jeff? Did you write a book?
3: Yeah, Mark Chamberlain and I wrote a book uh, called "Love You, Hate the Porn: Healing a Relationship Damaged by mm-hmm. Virtual Infidelity."
1: I know that book. I just didn't make the connection. That's incredible. <laughs>
3: Excellent. Yeah, yeah. So that was our book, and and uh, you can you can find that on Amazon or Desert Book or wherever.
2: I
1: so. have it. Oh, that's very good. Thank you for helping me make that that connection.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we'll put links to these resources—the the ones that Jeff has been mentioning—we'll put these in the show notes. And so, listeners, go check out the show notes. You'll see the links. Be able to to learn more about Jeff and the amazing stuff that he is offering. Uh man, Jeff, we sure appreciate your your time once again for joining us here on the episode. Before we let you go though, we love to get people's takeaway of the day. So what's what's your takeaway? What do you want listeners really to remember what we've talked about today?
3: Yeah, thanks. I I just want people to know um that there's nothing that there's nothing that your marriage, in terms of like your emotions, your experience, your feelings, your needs, like Your marriage can handle it the marriage is a container that should be able to hold the individual experiences of each person and what marriages can't handle is when we take that stuff outside and don't address it and don't talk about it it starts creating more chaos and so i just want people to trust the 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 actual structure and institution of marriage that it's sturdy it's stable it's it's big enough to hold all of our fears and worries and insecurities and temptations and struggles And bring that to your partner, open up, talk about it. It actually calms both people down quite a bit.
2: Yeah, I love that. Thanks, Jeff. Liz, what about you? Yeah, I
1: was thinking this very same thing, Jeff, that that message of hope and that people, we can really trust ourselves. Individuals can trust themselves. They have the tools, talents, resources, and abilities to really handle life, handle something as excruciatingly painful as betrayal, but they can. I believe in them. I believe in the miracle of that, of getting to the other side. Mm. Yeah. with your good help, especially, and people <laughs> like you, Jeff.
2: Yeah, yeah, thanks, Jeff. I think my, my takeaway of the day, it's almost on the, the front end of all of this, just this, if you feel like you're, uh, you know, this little innocent, you know, flirting, or I all you know, those feelings, and I'm looking forward to this, those things that Jeff was talked about, if you can kind of learn to feel it, but not follow it, you know, to observe it, but don't Ooh, yeah. absorb it, I think that can help us before that slippery slope feel like there's many of just to catch it and be truthful and live truthful to that. And don't betray those little, those little feelings, that little consciousness is like, ah, you know, you should probably shouldn't be doing this. Probably shouldn't be, be, be saying that, um, to be very mindful uh, and intentional in your relationship. So, um, man, I'm sure mm. to enjoyed our, our conversation, um, mm. Jeff, we sure appreciate you coming on, joining us yet again for another episode of the stronger marriage connection. My friends, thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time.
1: And just remember, it's the small things that create a stronger marriage connection.
2: Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, do us a favor and take a few minutes to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel, where you can watch this and every episode of the show. When you hit the like button and leave a comment, your feedback helps us improve the show. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You can also follow and connect with us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. Be sure to share with us what topics you want us to explore and what you loved about today's episode. If you want even more resources to improve your relationship connection, visit our website at StrongerMarriage.org where you'll find free workshops, webinars, relationship surveys, and more. Each episode of Stronger Marriage Connection is hosted and sponsored by the Utah Marriage Commission at Utah State University. And finally, a big thanks to our producers, Rex Polanis and Alexis Alcott, and the team at Utah State University. And you, our audience, you make this show possible.